This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome. It's the Free Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. I hope you're well and looking forward to the forthcoming Qatar tournament that is getting ever closer. And I hope I've been building that excitement with these regular lookbacks over the World Cups that England have participated in over the years. Now, you may remember we looked at the very early tournaments and how it all got off the ground. Then I had the pleasure in speaking with Blackburn Rovers legend and former three lion himself, Brian Douglas. He told me all about 1958 and 1962. Peter Woodman told us about England's finest hour, 1966. And then the lovely Pat Napier. She went to Mexico in 1970 and together... We relived her memories. And sadly, England went through a barren period, not making the finals for two successive tournaments, 1974 and 1978. Then along came Ron Greenwood, who set things straight. And that's where we find ourselves now. Spain, 1982. Don't forget, if you've missed any of those previous episodes then they are still all available on your podcast provider of choice. So sit back, grab yourself a cerveza, some paella too, and let's find out how it all unfolded. Spain was actually chosen as the host country some 16 years earlier, when at the FIFA Congress in London 1966, shortly before the competition that year, which was of course the year when England would lift the Jules Rimet trophy. In fact, by the time 1982 came around, there was a new trophy to be fought over, the FIFA World Cup trophy. The one we now know, that gold gleaming one with the world at the top. This was because back in 1970, Brazil would win the World Cup for the third time. And the prize for that, they could keep the Jules Rimet. Anyway, back to 1966. That FIFA Congress also selected the hosting rights for 1974 and 1978. West Germany and Spain, well, they came to an agreement that Spain would back West Germany for 74 and the Germans would back the Spanish for 82. That's how it worked out. The tournament would be played across 17 different venues in 14 host cities and for the first time featured 24 teams having been expanded from 16, which had been its format since 1954 and by doing this this would now allow two teams from Africa two from Asia and Oceania two from CONCACAF four from South America and 14 from UEFA the Netherlands well they lost both the 74 and 78 finals they would have a disastrous qualifying campaign and they wouldn't make it to Spain in fact they finished fourth in their qualifying group. Mexico and Sweden alike, they also didn't make it. England, well they did get to the finals, but they made hard work of it. They were drawn alongside Hungary, Romania, Switzerland and Norway in UEFA's Group 4. Things got off to a good start with a 4-0 home win over Norway. A shock loss to Romania followed in Bucharest. Switzerland at home saw a 2-1 win, but that was only followed by a goalless draw with Romania at Wembley. And just as they seemed to have gotten hold of things, 
They then lost to Switzerland in Basel. A bit hungry away before the ultimate humiliation, losing away to Norway in Oslo. In the end, it was other results going England's way, notably Switzerland beating Romania, which meant that when it came down to the last match at home to Hungary, Paul Mariner scored the only goal that ensured England finished second in the group, behind the Hungarians. Hungary ended up on 10 points, England 9, ahead of Romania on 8. And in the European qualifying, both top spot and runners-up all qualified, except for Group 7, where only the winners went through. But that was a group of only three sides. And Poland, they saw off East Germany and Malta there. Once there, though, there was still some concern about England and Scotland and Northern Ireland attending because of the Falklands War. But we'll cover that in a bit more detail soon. Preparation for the tournament, unlike qualifying, was fairly straightforward. Victories over the Dutch, Scotland and Finland. And Ron Greenwood, or he would choose the following 22 players. Three goalkeepers, Ray Clements of Tottenham Hotspur, Joe Corrigan, Manchester City, Peter Shilton of Nottingham Forest. Defenders, Viv Anderson, Nottingham Forest. Terry Butcher, Ipswich Town. Steve Foster of Brighton. Mick Mills, Ipswich Town. Phil Neal of Liverpool. Kenny Sansom of Arsenal. And Phil Thompson, also of Liverpool. Midfielders, Trevor Brookin of West Ham United. Steve Coppel, Manchester United. As Glenn Hoddle of Tottenham Hotspur. Terry McDermott of Liverpool, Graham Ricks of Arsenal, Brian Robson and Ray Wilkins, both of Manchester United. And he chose five forwards. Kevin Keegan from Southampton. He was squad captain. Trevor Francis of Manchester City. Paul Mariner, who had got the team there thanks to that goal against Hungary. He was from Ipswich. Peter Wythe of Aston Villa. And Tony Woodcock, who at the time was playing in the Bundesliga in Germany for Cologne. And whilst Keegan was squad captain, it was actually Mick Mills who wore the armband in Keegan's injured absence. And England, despite only coming second in the qualifying group, well, they were seeded and found themselves alongside Czechoslovakia, France and Kuwait in Group 4. Now, back home in England, both the BBC and ITV would be covering the tournament And it's now that a lot of memories will come rushing back for many as those opening credits became the soundtrack to the summer. The BBC, they chose an Andrew Lloyd Webber composition as performed by the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. It was called The Jealousil Ball from Cats. Whilst ITV went with something a little more traditional. Matador by Jeff Wayne. Yes, he of War of the Worlds fame. The official poster for the tournament is one of my personal favourites. A colourful, abstract affair, painted by Spanish surrealist artist Joan Miro. Born in Barcelona in 1893, famous for his painting and sculptures that can be seen around the Catalan capital. I have to be honest though, I'm not sure what it's supposed to represent, but it is dominated by red and yellow. Of course, the colour of Spain's national flag. And it has España written above it and Copa del Mundo de Football beneath. Now the mascot this year was an oversized orange called Naranjito, wearing the red shirts and blue shorts of Spain. It has a big smile on its face with a green stalk and leaves coming from the top of its head 
and it's holding a ball in the crook of its arm. Again, like the poster, it's a little favourite of mine. Now it's time to bring in someone who was there in Spain all those years ago. And many will remember the European Championships episode where we looked at Euro 1980. It was the first in the series some while back. Well, I was joined by Les Gasson then, and I'm pleased to say he's back joining me again. Now we've already spoken to Les Gasson about Euro 1980 in Italy in a previous series. You may remember that one. I think we spoke riots, guns and prison. We're going to fast forward a couple of years. Spain 1982, as he was there for that one. So my pleasure to welcome Les back to the Three Lions podcast. Hello, Les. Hello, Russell. Nice to see you again. Likewise. Likewise. I know we spoke about Kazakhstan as well, didn't we? A little while yes. back. Yeah, become a bit too regular. <laughs> oh, no, I love it. People love these, um, hearing about the, the older memories. Um, well, you hope it twigs other people's memories and they can relate to it. That's that's why I listen to them as well, uh, to see if what we've experienced actually ties up with what they did and what they experienced. So, yeah, yeah. I don't mind. Ah, well, thank you again. Well, yeah, let, let's go back to, to Spain 1982. From what I can gather, because I personally don't remember it um only other than what i've seen on on the telly and what i've read about it it was the first england world cup since 1970 and they almost made a, a hash of getting there didn't they well yeah that's one thing i've put down here i mean um, we nearly didn't qualify i was um um you know the experience i had in italy which was a bit unfortunate to say the least in 80 uh went to uh the switzerland i had a train ticket to go from uh, hastings to switzerland and then on to Budapest, Hungary for the next game. Yep. And uh, we had another unfortunate experience where there was quite a bit of trouble. Uh, the Battle of Baal, I think they called it on the news of the world. Yeah. Um, and yes, it, it was quite horrendous, actually, the night before the game. I managed to bump into some lads from Derby, Derby County fans, and we stayed away. And we just followed what we looked like was a bit of carnage going on around Basel that evening. But we purposely kept away because of my experiences in Italy and I said I'm not having that again and then we were looking for this nightclub we had tickets for uh, in this main street in Basel somewhere and this police car pulled up behind us we just looked around and said just keep walking we've done nothing wrong just just there's about four of us and uh, you know we just find this place and go in and then a police car pulled up further down the street in front of us so they had us front and back and we thought oh right what do we do now and then we thought let's try and just leg it across the road and of course we tried to do that and yet again out come the guns taken in again oh. i could not believe it uh considering we stayed away uh, from all the trouble and everything and uh long story short here we go again no one's going to believe us we sat stay in there there's 22 of us in this big cell all overnight and all throughout the day and they didn't let us out until half time nah. and we ended up losing 2-1 i believe and uh and I thought, do you know what? I've had enough of this. Instead of going to Hungary, I went home. Got the right. next train home. And I missed the 3-1 game. Uh, so the Trevor Brooking goal and all that sort of stuff, you know. And uh, But yeah, I mean, we was almost down and out, wasn't we? We lost to Switzerland. But um, the next two games, the lucky goal from uh, Paul Marin at Wembley, 1-0. That was it. We sealed it. So thank goodness we were going to the World Cup. Hooray, you know, <laughs> never been to a World Cup before. And it's yeah. in sunny Spain. Nice and easy to get to, we thought. <laughs> well, I mean, just, just going back to one of those games on, on the road in qualifying, it was Norway, wasn't it? With the uh, the infamous commentary. Oh, fuck you. You'll have to remind me about that. I can't really remember that. Well, I guess if, if you were there, did you go to, to Norway? Or no, what? I didn't go to Norway. No, ah, well, money was I... still quite tight in them days. I didn't have a very good job. So it was all really saving the pennies because I was watching Brighton home and away as well. So, which it's up money. So I couldn't go to many games at that point. So, uh, well, famously, it was we lost to Norway in Oslo, I guess it was. And come final whistle, the commentator there was saying, Was it Lord Attlee? 
Maggie Thatcher, your boys took one hell of a beating. Oh, it's that one, is it? I know. Oh, that's that's why during Euro '96, oh, what's his name, the, the radio presenter, he did his big um, Spanish thing, didn't he? Don Quixote ah. and all that. You know, he did he did a uh, thing of the three lions, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. England, England, Lord Nelson, Lord Babybrook, Sir Winston Churchill. Sir Anthony Eden, Clement Attlee, Henry Cooper, Lady Diana, we them all together, we them all together, Maggie Thatcher, can you hear me, Maggie Thatcher, we have a message to you in the middle of the camp, we have a message to you, we have England out of the world's best in football, Maggie Thatcher, and if you say it on your own, i boksebarene rundt Madison Square Garden i New York. Your boys took a hell of a beating. Your boys took a hell of a beating. Fell Maggie Thatcher. Norge har slått England i fotball. Vi er best i verden. It's Norway 2. England 1. What a fabulous night for football. Varsågod studio. So Spain, the World Cup, it was, it was given to Spain to, to host it. And as soon as we'd qualified, eventually, as you say, with that that one nil win uh, with a goal from Paul Mariner, were you right? I'm going. Yeah, I mean, just mad keen to go, especially after you know going to Italy. And apart from the bad parts, it was a, what an experience and you know, good friends made and all that. So uh, yeah, I was I was straight in touch. I was talking to Wellesley, saying what we're going to do, how we're going to get there. He suggested he'll take his car and we'll go by ferry. Right. Word on the streets was there was some problems with uh, ticketless fans being turned away at borders and this, that and the other. So he said, what we're going to do, we'll take the car to Plymouth. We'll get the Plymouth-Santander ferry. Takes you straight there. So it's only along the coast to Bilbao where we were based anyway. So um, that's what we decided to do for us. So, um, but, you know, you've got to think of what else was going on at the time. You know, a very serious thing going on in the South Atlantic. Um, you've got to think of the links of Spain and Argentina, very, very closely tied. So there was an awful lot going on at that time. And um, I had lots of friends down in the South Atlantic in the uh, Army, Navy, Marines. Right. So it was quite um, an, an eventful and uh, worrying time, really. Even at that age, you know, you worry about your mates. Yeah. So, yeah, they were they was all down there. And there we were going off to have some fun in the World Cup, you know. So it was a little bit thing. But... Um, but no, it's um, we did that two days before we were due to go. Yeah, I got a phone call and he's saying uh, cars, car brakes have packed up. His calipers have been sticking or something like that. Oh no! He said, "Don't worry." He says they're being fixed uh, tomorrow. So all right, get some fixed. So off we go. We went for a night out in Hastings the night before. It was a fantastic night. Uh, very busy night. There was lots of buzzing because the word came out that the uh, the Paras and the Marines were on the outskirts of Stanley that evening. And so everyone was really hyped up, and uh, especially in the pubs of Hastings and all that. And uh, it was uh, really good. And uh, we bumped into a couple of um, West Ham fans who'd been to Dover to go to Spain. And they said they were turned back because they didn't have tickets for the World Cup. Really? So they stopped at Dover. You know, <laughs> I mean, that was... So we said, well, we're going via Plymouth. So uh, lo and behold, they ended up on our same ferry. But um, but yeah, we, we drove down the night before, all okay. Went out in the evening down Union Street, Plymouth, better B&B for the night. Uh, we went in the pub, bottom of Union Street. I'm not even sure it's a pub anymore. It's not the Eagles, one that was on the opposite side, if anybody knows Plymouth. Um, but um, we went in there and there was um, we noticed it was quite busy. Because uh, obviously being a, a marine town, naval town, there was lots of atmosphere there. And there was a group of young lads, you could see they were in the forces because of the haircuts and the way they were dressed, right. very neat and tidy. Didn't look very happy, of course. So we, we just went over and just said hello, you know, said, um, you know, in, in the forces, lads, yeah, Navy. I said, oh, right, OK, um, ship. And uh, oh, even now, all these years on, it still makes me uh, well up a bit. HMS Sheffield. They were actually on the Sheffield. And really? uh, I, I remember the night it went down, um, the first major loss on that. And uh, we was at Brighton-Ipswich that night, Tuesday yeah. night game. 
and we beat Bobby Robson's Ipswich 1-0, high-flying Ipswich. And, and everyone was absolutely buzzing and cheering. It was all going off on in, in the North Stand of Brighton and that. And then the Tannoy came over at the end of the game and they announced what happened. And you could hear a pin drop in that yeah. stadium. And there was, must have been 25, 26,000 there. Yeah. You could hardly hear a thing. It was just deathly silence leaving the stadium. A bit of a sign of respect, I think, really, but the shock, I think, that this is now really a war. Mm. And people are actually dying on our side and it's not nice. And when you've got lots of mates, you know, are down there, it's um, it's quite apparent. So, yeah, these these lads uh, in the pub in Plymouth, HMS Sheffield, just didn't know what to say to them. Just said, just bought them a beer, put it on the table and said no words. Mm. I don't think there's any words you could say to these lads, really. You know, from what they've just experienced, so that so that's why I think you know when anybody talks about Spain World Cup, I think you can never um, separate the two because of what was going on at the time and, and the atmosphere of everything, and that that spilled out onto the uh, onto the ferry uh, the next day when we went down. Uh, we drove down to the ferry, and lo and behold, what happens? The brakes pack up. Yeah, <laughs> going into the ferry port. They seized up again. These calipers seize on, so it doesn't go anywhere. Oh. So you have to wait until they cool down and they release. And so anyway, we parked the car up at the ferry port and got out. And uh, and this uh, BBC crew came over, uh, BBC News, yeah. interviewed uh, Chris Wellesley and said, you know, what he said, what's happened to the car? And they said, oh, are you going home? And he said, no, no we're going to go as uh, foot passengers and leave the car behind. And that's yeah. what we did. So we had to leave the car. And go from there. But I mean, this is time where you didn't really have tickets in advance and all that sort of stuff. You just went, turned up, and just did what you had to do. No hotels, no internet. There's nothing like that at all. So yeah, it's um, the boat was packed. You know, jocks, Irish on there. Um, loads of English, of course. The bar was buzzing uh, all evening. Uh, they had Royal Marines as security on the on the boat. And it was getting a bit lively, shall we say? People on people's shoulders and banging oh, wow. low ceilings and all that sort of stuff and singing. And the Marines said, "If this carries on, we're going to have to shut the bar." So we sort of like went around and had a word with a couple of groups of lads that we knew. So look, you know, we're just going to have to take it down just a little bit. And there was a Bolton flag up on the wall, and this Bolton lad had this funny green horn type instrument, curly horn. I don't know what it's called. Right, uh, and he. And he played the last post on it. Oh. And again, you could, everybody stood, it just went dead quiet and just everybody just stood still uh, just for that time, you know, which which was good because it calmed the whole thing mm. down for a little while. And it actually, I think, woke people up to realising, look what we're doing, what the lads experiencing, you know. I know it's all coming towards an end by the looks of it, but we'd already heard about uh, lots of people dying and getting yeah. hurt and that sort of stuff. So, so yeah, separating the two was pretty much wrong and impossible. Was uh, there talk? I mean, I read. Was there talk of possibly like the the UK sides, or British sides, being withdrawn from the from the World Cup by FIFA? I, I never heard any of that. No. Um, I think there was lots of talk about what was it going to be like. For the British clubs, you know, because of the Falklands War, because of the Spanish link to Argentina, yeah. I mean, I, you know, it was a difficult. I think there must have been discussions about it. But I never really heard uh, much about us de- not going at all. Yeah. I don't think that was ever on the cards. Before, just before we landed in uh, Santander on the boat, um, it came across the news: Argentina had surrendered. So that was that was amazing. That. The fact that um, we won was good, but the fact yeah. that no one else was going to be dying and getting injured mm. well, on either side, you know, nobody. I mean, I feel sorry for a lot of the Argentinian conscripts and lads that were sent out there, you know, because some jumped up mush wanted to distract from the fact he's wrecking his own country, decided to uh, play a bit of politics and uh, take us at a weak point. But the thing is, they come unstuck because we had a all right, not very popular in some uh, walks of life uh, prime minister, but we had a prime minister who said, no, you ain't doing that. So uh, luckily. But um, but like I say, but once we uh, landed in Santander, you got off the boat and the, the, the graffiti everywhere was Malvinas, Malvinas and all that sort uh. of stuff. So you knew there was a little bit of animosity there and there was, you know, there was lots of uh, looks and disapproving looks from the Spanish and all that sort of stuff. But um, you are 
as you get in towards Bilbao and all that, you're in Basque country, which is a bit different than the Spanish. So and they, were, they actually quite liked us. Uh, some of the old boys with the big berries were coming up and uh, shaking us by the hand, walking around the streets there. So uh, that wasn't too much of a problem. But yeah, the, the, the Malvinas thing was there. I mean, at the, at the same time with like that Bilbao region, Basque region, there was Etta as well, who I think yeah. were on a bit of a, uh, a mission yeah, well, at they, the time. Well, as, as we get to that, when we got to the first game, we didn't know what was going on outside, but there was a massive Basque rally outside the ground while the game was going on and there was a bit of a should we say altercation i think with the police local spanish police with the basques so they were protesting against something so so yeah it was going on but they liked us which was lucky you know which was pretty good we wouldn't want them against us as well (laughs) i think i don't know what the actual detail history is but i believe we we supported them through some sort of uh, campaign uh, years and years ago i don't think they've ever forgotten you know um, right bit like kosovo i suppose we you know the way we, yeah. we were treated in kosovo we didn't know what to expect until we got there and what an eye opener that was yeah but, um you know but yeah you know it was um it was all right when we say it was a nice hot sunny spain uh didn't know what to expect it was still sort of in the uh era of uh football thuggery shall we say a lot of the uh usual suspects were around uh we, we sort of recognized a few of them especially from uh Tunbridge Wells, Chelsea, and all that sort of stuff. Mm. I'm sure you know. You know, uh, but we just went to local hotel, six, eight pound a night for a hotel. Nice. The World Cup. Um, <laughs> no hiking the Santa. prices up too much then, was there? <laughs> no, I mean, um, you know, I don't know what what we would pay over here at the time, but uh, we knew it was quite cheap. Put it that way. Yeah. And uh, it was out that evening. Uh, we found this bar called the Basque Bar, which we thought they would go in there because. Everybody seems to like us. And uh, it's a nice warm evening, uh, sat outside, a nice tree-lined um, street. And uh, this other group of lads across the road, Bristol Bristol Rovers, I think they were. Um, they'd been out a bit earlier than us, I think, should we <laughs> say. <laughs> and um, they, were, they were no no problem. They were just a little bit boisterous. But a couple of them decided to climb one of the... Uh, sort of like nicely cut shaped trees outside the bar. Right. A uh, big branch snapped, falling to the floor. Bar owner didn't like it. Called the police. Oh, God, here we go. <laughs> police turn up and uh, and they had us up again, all up against the wall outside the bar. And I said to my mate, Rian, who's never been before, he said, I haven't done nothing wrong. I'm walking away. I said, Rian, stay here. No, he said, no. Nah. He walked away and he got a, ma- a massive club up right on the back of his cheeks oh. so he came back and just stay here just do as you're told say nothing you know please god anyway when they sort of like turned their backs on us the police i grabbed on my mate paddy i said in quick legged it into the bar we hid in the ladies toilets i know it sounds a bit uh, <laughs> uh wimpish at the moment but i thought three times on a trot i'm never going to be believed absolutely not when i get my own so uh we hid in the toilets for about 10 15 minutes and then uh, we sort of poked our head out and his England fan was stood there drinking his beer. That's nah, all right, they're gone. It's all right. <laughs> what The good thing was the, the bar owner who called the police identified the two lads that were climbing the tree, took them away, and that yeah. was it. He said that we didn't weren't any trouble, so uh, luckily. But yeah, I thought, you know, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> that was Santander. But, uh, you know, it's not yeah, nice little place. Then, obviously, we had the logistics of getting to Bilbao. Was that uh, far away? So that was train. No, no, I, I can't remember exactly how far, but it's, it's only an hour or so on the train, I think. Oh. But the trains were dreadful. Uh, cattle trucks really didn't go, really go above 30 miles an hour. Um, and they were they sort of stopped or broke down quite often. Um, so it was a little painful, but it was all right. You know, a couple of cans, you were right, not too bad. Watched a bit of scenery. Mm. And then we was, we was on one journey uh, to Bilbao and... Um, the train come to a grinding halt all of a sudden. It looked like a jerk. Oh, God, it's broken down again. And there was a bit of a kerfuffle. So uh, I got up and said, what's going on? What's going on? And someone said, uh, oh, Geordie has just fallen off the roof. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's in. I think this story is in a, a couple of books as well. We was actually on that train. Right. And I said, what do you mean he's fallen off the roof? He said, well, he apparently lost a lot of money gambling somewhere. And there's these Chelsea fans on the train. 
bet him he wouldn't get up on the roof and sing the Bladen Races. <laughs> and uh, I don't know how much it was, but it was a, you know, a nice amount of money. Yeah. And uh, all he had on was his trainers and his shorts, nothing else. <gasps> so he got up on the roof and these these trains were a little bit wobbly. And, uh, well, he came off into the bushes. Ouch. <laughs> Luckily, oh. he didn't go the other side. It was a bit more of a drop. Yeah. But, yeah, he, he came off. So they'd stopped the train. So I thought, I've got to get a picture of this. I hope he's all right, you know. <laughs> and by the time I got out onto the track, there was a um, one of the rail staff and a couple of his mates or whatever uh, were like, got him up and they were just holding him, walking him down the track back to the train. So he was a lucky boy. Yeah. But that was so funny. <laughs> so funny. But yeah, it's uh, that down there. But, um, you know, um, these things happen when you <laughs> when you brought those boats. Englishmen abroad. There you go. But uh, now we so got to Bilbao, found it very, very difficult to find a hotel or anything to stay there. So off trots, well, well, he says, well, you stay here. I'll go and sort it, which is fine. Great. We'll have a couple of beers. You go and sort it. Mm. It took him about an hour and a half before he come back. And he said, good news and bad news. I said, what's that? He said, well, I found a place. I said, well, what's the bad news? He says, you haven't seen it yet. <laughs> so anyway, as long as I said, long as we can sleep and uh, lock our bags away, that's all we want. Yeah. Really. So, uh, but yeah, it was grim. It was it. It was, it was bare floorboards, creaky everything. Uh, nothing worked. The view out of this dirty curtain was um, of like corrugated iron roofs with like loads of cats and animals Lovely. running around everywhere. And thought, oh god, didn't look. It's been cleaned forever. You know. And it was, oh well, here we are. We got it. So again, it was quite cheap. Uh, I think it only costs us between us about twenty pound for the room for the night. So. Uh, we should be all four of us shared it. No, it's okay. You know, it's um, out into Bilbao, do a few bars, try and pick up some tickets. Uh, managed to get some tickets eventually for the France game. Uh, 18 quid. Loads of money. Yeah. Considering at the time at home, I should imagine tickets for a game at home were around about the two quid mark, something like that, £2.50 for a match on a Saturday. So 18 quid was a lot of money. It did eat into the finances a bit, really. But you know, he didn't want to miss the France game first. No, game. not at all. So that was that was really good. And what was the, the feeling with England fans at the time? I mean, obviously it's the first World Cup since seventy. People going well, with like hope. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, you think the players we had, you know, with Brooklyn and Keegan and players like that, and Trevor Francis coming through, Brian Robson. Yeah. You know, we had all these. We had a fantastic squad. I think we were good enough to go a long, long way. Uh, I think really. The latter stages where we couldn't score a goal was our problem. You know, missed chances. You know, it's been the story of our World Cups. If you look at the record of England across all the World Cups since 66, we've had an awful lot of not rubber the green, should we say. We've disallowed goals, hitting the post when we should be scoring. You know, all these things have happened in Euros and in World Cups, you know. Um, And if only those things went our way, we could have been three times champions by now quite easily. Quite easy. We're definitely the best side in 1990. Definitely yeah. the best side in 96. You know, and um, it's just unfortunate, really. Yeah. It's just unfortunate. But, yeah. Well, um, you mentioned Brian Robson there. Yeah. Got yeah, us off to a good start. Oh, tickets right but we're behind the goal in the corner there. Um, right. Nearly missed the goal because we was outnumbered at the game. That's, I would say, a good three to one by the French, which is quite ironic, three to one. But, yeah. Um, yeah, but they was, I mean, because it's just across the border for them, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, we was just settling in, really, uh, when Robbo scored. Couldn't believe it. You know, everyone, you know, it's just absolute scenes behind the goal. Yeah, it's really good. But, it's a bit uh, of an acrobatic effort, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah, flick on a header from the throw in, and uh, he was like leaning back and sort of leaning over. Yeah. Just volleyed it in, left foot volley into the ground, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, great way to well, start. We just, I just turned round and. And because uh, I saw the, the throwing go over and someone tapped my And as I turned around, the ball was in the net. I didn't actually see him lean over and hit it. I just see it in the net. I thought, who scored? Yeah. Who scored? You know, what they scored? Christ, you know. So, yeah, it was, it's quite a nice, you know, nice place to be, you know. Mm. Nice, nice place to be when Gazza scored 96 behind the goal. Lovely to be behind the goal when Beckham scored up at Old Trafford against Greece. So being in those places at those times is just... Uh, over the years, it's uh, memories you'll take with you, really. And Robbo's goal after 
Is it 23, 26 seconds? 27, I think. 27. I exaggerated, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, I don't know, to to this day, I think it's still the fastest World Cup goal. I think think it might be. I know France um, scored a quick goal, didn't they? Um, In, uh, is it the 86 World Cup? It might have been the same World Cup, actually. Right. I think it might have been the same World Cup. Uh, They scored a very quick, quick quick goal in a game. Um, So there you go. Yeah. So no, it, it is. It, if it's not the first, it's at least the second. So. Yeah. But yeah, so you know, game went. You know, went on. They got an equaliser, which is here we go. You know, so they, all their fans were up for it. There was a little bit of pushing and shoving behind the goals. But again, there's loads of French in our end. In the end, we was in was not yeah. really our end. So, uh, but then obviously up comes Robo again, gets another one, and uh, who's who got the third one? I can't remember now. Was uh, was it Mariner? Yes. Yeah, it was Paul Mariner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, 3-1, great result, great start. Um, and that's what we needed because that was the tough one, wasn't it, against France? Yeah. It was a tough one. Yeah, it's good. Good so all, all our all our games were in Bilbao. Well, yes. Guess, so that that group, which was yeah, group four, all, all England's games were in Bilbao. So did you go backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards? No, we we stayed in Bilbao for um, for the uh, first two games. We weren't too sure what we were going to do about the third game because Mm. we knew that we couldn't stay for the whole tournament because of finances and everything and time off work. So the idea was we'd stay as long as we thought we could, money-wise and everything, and then um, come back to the later stages if we carried on in because there's that horrible second group stage, wasn't it, in that World Cup? A weird thing, which I don't think they've ever done again, thank goodness. But... uh, you know, we never lost a game, don't forget. No, that's right. And we only conceded out. one goal. Yeah, and and got knocked out. Yeah. That's what I mean about our record in World Cups. You know, it's it just doesn't go our way really a lot of the time. You know, you see. No, we, we, we stayed around Bilbao. Uh, and then we went off to, um, went to the second game. Check this back here. 2-0. That's it. We qualified through. We know we're going to go through. Yeah. Shall we stay for the last game? <sighs> Problem I had was, uh, should we say, had the old uh, Spanish belly. Oh, dear. Uh, quite bad. I mean, really bad. Um, couldn't eat anything. Didn't want to drink, which is a bit of a shame on a World Cup in Spain. And um, it wasn't until I, excuse the description, but it wasn't until I gave birth to a dead starling <laughs> on a beach toilet uh, <laughs> about four days later, uh, I was I started feeling a bit better. But it wasn't very nice. <laughs> Imagine a, a golf ball unraveling. That's what it was oh, like. lovely! But, uh, anyway, that's enough of that. <laughs> Sorry about that, everybody. But um, it was it was quite bad. So yeah, I was quite happy to go home actually. But we had a couple of days. Uh, we went along and stayed in uh, San Sebastian. Right. Um, we said we'd stay for a few more days and uh, just uh, you know enjoy it a little bit because it's a nice seaside resort. It's a lovely place actually, San Sebastian. Is it? And um, Rio Sociedad, I think, is the club in it. Oh, is that where they're based? And, uh, okay. Yeah. And so we found a nice place there, much nicer. It was a beach holiday. We was on the beach one day, and there was a group of uh, English lads there, uh, sort of like, okay, lads. And they had these funny, a couple of them had these funny, like, masks on. It was the Chelsea lads. Uh, right. Hickmott and Tunbridge Wells lot, uh, headhunters. Ah. Um, and I thought, that's such an iconic picture. I thought, well, I can't take a picture. Because I'll probably get mid punched or something because they don't like publicity, of course. Yeah. But I, I, I knew Icky. I've, I've met him a couple of times, um, just to speak to you briefly. And uh, I said, uh, "Is it okay? This is a great, brilliant picture." I said, "This, you know, this." I said, "Can I take a picture?" He went, "Yes, what? It's all right. It's all right." Took the picture. Yeah. I've kept it ever since. And I have sent it to a couple of places, but um, it, it, I think it's such a, an iconic picture of, of those times. Yeah, and uh, what those lads used to get up to, sort of thing, you know, nice as pie until you cross them, and then obviously uh, they turn a bit. But uh, no, that was quite funny. That was quite funny. But like I say we we didn't really see uh, any trouble in Spain apart from one night in Santander. We used to there used to be a really popular bar there called the Hollywood Bar, like a disco type bar with all the youngsters used to turn up, and we were quite young. Well, I was what? How old was I? Twenty three. Mm. Twenty three, twenty four, and so still relatively young. And uh, we was there they playing the same old English 80s songs all night. And it was really good fun. Yeah. And one night we decided we wanted to watch the Scotland-Brazil game in a bar opposite because they had a TV. 
So we was across there, and then all of a sudden we heard all these sirens going off and uh, blue flashing lights everywhere. We thought, what's going on? Someone come running in the bar and said, uh, local youths have all turned up throwing bottles and cans at a group of Pompey fans. I didn't realise, I think there was about 30-odd Pompey fans there who weren't going to have none of it. Right. And it just just went off everywhere. And next thing you see was like police cars, like uh, estate cars. And you could see these like lads in the back handcuffed lying down in like in the uh, parcel shelf, near the parcel right. shelves, being taken away. And right, here we go, just stay in the bar, stay out of it. Yeah. You know? uh, but that was the only trouble we saw. And the, um, and the funny, well, not so funny, uh, we went out again the next night, our last night there, back to the Hollywood bar. And there was these like, local young lads turning up with like butterfly stitches and bandages and all this sort of stuff. One had an arm in his sling. Oh dear. <laughs> so <laughs> I think they thought twice about doing it again, if you sort of mean. Mm. But no, that was the only, that's the only trouble we, we, we saw really. So that was, that was really um, our experience of Spain world cup. It was go as long as we can. The first phase play it by ear tickets uh, buy over there on the black market. Um, no just feel our way around, was going to go by car, but obviously ended up going doing the trains. It was good fun. It was lovely and sunny. Uh, met some really good people again. Uh, just about avoided any silly nonsense this time and uh, hoping to go back in a week or so's time to for the uh, knockouts and all that sort of stuff, but uh, wasn't to be, was it? No, so I mean, it we... Be. It was a shame, but it was nice coming back because we stopped in Plymouth again in the B&B and the next day, um, we heard the landlady of the B&B said HMS Plymouth's coming in uh, from ah. the Falklands. So, um, so we thought, great, get the flag out. We'll take the flag up onto the hoe. And it was quite packed up, quite busy. Yeah. And, uh, HMS Plymouth came in. You can see where it had been hit. It had a hole in the side. Really? <laughs> it had been hit by a, a missile or something. And obviously, lucky it didn't go off because there had a few of those that didn't go off. Even the HMS Sheffield one, I don't think, exploded. I think right. it just hit in such mm. a way it just set everything off. Yeah. So blessing. Um, but um, no, that was nice. And it, uh, people were quite appreciative that we went out there with the flag and everything else, which was quite nice. Because we had the opportunity uh, weeks after that to go down and meet uh, friends off their, off their ships. So HMS Intrepid, mate, was on the landing craft there. Um, we said Lantern Memorial Marines. And the other mate was on the Hermes. And uh, that's what, that was quite ironic as well because um, uh, the story that uh, the lad on the landing craft, uh, mate Gary, said uh, he was uh, driving the landing craft, taking all the uh, Marines and Paras to set up the bridgehead at San Carlos Water, I think it was, and said when they landed on the beach, bumped into my other mate, uh, the other mates, uh, he was in the army in the artillery uh, on the right. beach. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what was the chances of that? You know, and. Uh, because they were supporting two power with the artillery, and I see. They, they met they met there on actually on the beach uh, in San Carlos. So, uh, wow! It was nice to see them all come home. You know, uh, they all come home unscathed. So unscathed physically, but yeah. uh, obviously mentally, it, it takes a while for them to get over things like that. But uh, I think because of being young and being elated about coming back and being part of something like that, I think uh, it helped a lot. But, um, yeah. So as you say, um, I would never talk about the Spain World Cup without uh, talking about what else was going on, which was a lot more serious. Mm. And so at least we won that one. So, yeah, yeah. Good. No, it's it's diff- different times, and and for those that that weren't there, and and like myself, who well, I was only four when when this was going on. Don't wouldn't have been able to comprehend it or, or understand what what was going on whereas my parents they they would have known um, yeah so. my personal link to it all apart from having friend lots of friends down there about seven or eight friends down there in different uh, units um was the company i worked for at the time we do military contracts yeah. we make uh, electric, uh, electrical components connectors and cables for the military yeah and uh, to think that we were part of the effort Small part, but you know, mm. vital part of yeah. logistics. So Spain '82, Falkland, yeah. all linked. I'm just um, trying to think a bit of bad luck again. Yeah, I'm just as you say. I mean, that second round or quarterfinals round, whatever they wanted to call it, where we drew with West Germany and Spain. It was mm. both nil nil. Keegan's headed miss. 
<laughs> yeah, because wasn't this this was the tournament where was it Keegan and Brookin only played fifteen minutes yeah. in what their their entire career was literally fifteen twenty minutes in the last game against Spain. Yeah, they they were injured. Oh right. So they only really they only came on came on as substitutes against Germany, I believe. Right. And uh, in this first, I think because Keegan was a little bit, should we say, not up with the game, to up with the pace, he had a clear header near the six-yard box and just fluffed it really. Right. Should have scored. I think Brooklyn had a chance as well. But, uh, you know, I think Rummenigge hit the bar at some point, right. but. Uh, you know, it was our game to be had. We, we could have won again. We could have and should have won that game. Yeah. I think we could have and should have beaten them in 1990. <laughs> yeah, we could yeah. have and should have beaten them in 96. The buggers. We only seem to be able to do it in blooming friendlies until the last lot. You know, we beat yeah. them. But, uh, there you go. Good old yeah. And then they went on to the final. I yeah, think, and lost to Italy. Lost to Italy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Paolo Rossi. The uh, That's right. should have been in jail. <laughs> that's right that, that they, was another they, story they give him special dispensation i think to allow him to play in the world cup because he was like uh persona non grata wasn't he because of his corruption and, and stuff like that that was going on at the time yeah. so uh, yeah the, the spain game that was uh cool. again we could have done better but we didn't could have should have yeah yeah could have should have there you go Thanks to Les Gasson there. It's always great to hear his stories from his England travels. Both the Euro 1980 and he done one with us about Kazakhstan. Both those episodes can be found at threelionspodcast.com. And one thing I should say, uh, we mentioned Brian Robson's goal against France being the fastest tournament goal. We got that one wrong. Uh, Some eagle-eared listeners may have been shouting at us, and rightly so. Uh, Back in 2002, in the third place playoff match, Turkey's Hakan Sukur scored after only 11 seconds in a 3-2 victory over South Korea. Uh, And also, back in 1962, apparently Czechoslovakia scored after 16 seconds in a group match against Mexico. But I think we can safely say Robson's goal is England's fastest World Cup goal. 1982, though brought with it some major talking points. There was the early defeat for West Germany by Algeria, and that group they were in also featured Austria and Chile. And it came to a conclusion in a game where neighbours West Germany and Austria found themselves playing the last game of the group, knowing that a victory of either 1-2-0 or for West Germany would still see both teams through to the second round. Horst Hrubusch would score the only goal after 10 minutes for West Germany. And from then on, the game became a farce, a training exercise, with the teams passing the ball to each other for 80 minutes. The game, well, it would become known as the disgrace of Hijon, the Spanish city where the game took place. Which is now why the final group games for each team's are played at the same time, so scenarios like this don't occur again. West Germany? Well, they would later come under more scrutiny in the tournament. But in Group 3, Hungary? Well, they'd beat El Salvador 10-1. And in the same group, the opening game of the tournament saw Belgium beat Holders and a young Diego Maradona by a goal to nil. That scenario that Les mentioned with the second round group stage was a bit complicated, but it went like this. The top two nations from each group in the opening round would both qualify. So that meant that the 12 teams went into the second round, effectively the quarterfinals. 12 teams were then split between four groups of three. The four teams that topped the groups would then go on to the semi-finals. In this instance, four European sides. Poland, West Germany, Italy and France. And I mentioned West Germany would come under the spotlight again. This was because of an incident in their semi-final against France. With the score one all, 
in the second half, French defender Patrick Battiston found himself in a position where he was chasing a ball towards the German goal, thanks to a through ball from Platini. He clearly got the ball first on the edge of the box, but he was clattered, and I mean clattered, by the West German goalkeeper Harold Schumacher. He shoulder-charged him down. In the football world we know now, this would be a straight red card, no call for VAR, likely to be a huge suspension for the keeper. But not 40 years ago, Battiston was knocked out cold, motionless on the floor. Broken jaw, two teeth missing. He was stretched from the pitch. Whatever angle you watch it from, it sends shivers down your spine. The referee, well, he kept his cards in his pocket and play was restarted with a goal kick. Platini taking over and playing a great ball for Battiston. That was a magnificent ball from Platini and Battiston, so unlucky. Just wonder what the uh, referee thought about the challenge from Schumacher on Battiston. It certainly looked a wild jump. And we're going to restart with a goal kick. The game continued and it ended 3-0 after extra time. Penalties and the Germans would come out on top, winning 5-4. Schumacher, well he saved two and sent Daimannschaft into the final to meet Italy. The Italians, well they would famously win 3-1 with goals from Rossi, Tardelli and Altabelli before Breitner got a consolation. And this was the final where Tardelli would famously show his emotions in his celebration as Italy won their third title. Bergami. They've almost had too much time until it comes to Tardelli. And they've picked their moment. Marco Tardelli expressing what it's like to score in a World Cup final. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. I certainly have. Once again, thank you very much to Les Gasson for his time. You can tune in to all the previous episodes at 3lionspodcast.com or your chosen podcast provider. And don't forget the show. You can find it on the likes of Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Go search it out. You'll find it. And I'll be back very soon with some more England content. We'll be getting to 1986 very soon. Yes, that one. I hope you can join me for it. So until then, take care. Cheers. <laughs>